Hey everyone and welcome to The Year Was, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host, Michael Montalvo. For the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to try and find out what makes today truly unique. In this episode, we examine the events that occurred May 12th. Do you guys remember John Bonet Ramsey? The case is still unsolved, and the murder sparked controversy, suspicion, conspiracy, and allegations all over the place. It is perhaps the most well-known case of this nature in modern times. Not to say it is any more or any less tragic than countless others, such as James Bulger, just that it's more well-known. It's all really sad, but in 20 years from now, honestly, even today, Jean Bonnet is little more than a paragraph on the page or the occasional television special spouting new evidence for the sake of ratings. At least for the majority of the people. For the family, I can't imagine. We won't go into the allegations against family members and others in this episode. I'm told heartbreak, like this, doesn't just heal. You just learn to live with it. What's perhaps most troubling is that this is nothing new. Things like this have taken place for as long as anyone can remember and try as we might, no one can seem to quite put an end to it. We just have this gruesomeness in the world. Take, for instance, Daisy Armstrong. Daisy Armstrong was the daughter of a Hollywood actress and an English colonel, and she was kidnapped and held for ransom as a baby. Her parents, desperate to get her back, paid the ransom but never got a chance to see her again. The kidnappers had already killed her and taken the money. That story was, of course, written by Agatha Christie in the Hercule Poirot story, The Murder on the Orient Express, but... It was a real-life event that actually is inspired the right word here. The Grim Tale. And that was, of course, the story of the Lindbergh baby. As we know, Charles Lindbergh found fame after he made the first non-stop transatlantic solo flight from New York to Paris. Well, after he did all of that, he got married, and together he and his wife had a son, which they named Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. And for 20 months, the Lindberghs were happy. But things were about to change. Sometime between 8 and 10 p.m. on March the 1st, 1932, unknown individuals, or an individual, climbed into the second-story nursery by ladder at the Lindbergh home. The person or persons responsible took the baby and left behind a note, as well as muddy footprints and a ladder to be discovered as the nurse who cared for the baby rushed to alert the Lindberghs of what had just happened. The Lindberghs were actually home at the time, just in another part of the house. 
Seeing the window open, Charles the Elder grabbed his gun and went into the woods, searching for his missing son, but upon finding nothing, returned to call the police. When the police arrived, they found the homemade ladder, footprints, and a note, and in that note found out that the kidnapper was asking for $50,000. The note would also go on to say that there would be trouble if the police were involved. Because of the numerous grammar mistakes, an immigrant was thought to have done the kidnapping, but little progress was made. By March 9th, a retired teacher, Dr. John Condon, called Lindbergh with information. He had written an open letter to the kidnappers, printing it in the paper, offering to act as an intermediary between them and the Lindbergh family. The kidnappers contacted him, agreeing to the arrangement, and desperate to have his son returned, Lindbergh also agreed. Meanwhile, the Lindberghs printed Charles Jr.'s diet in the papers with the hopes that the kidnappers would see it and keep him fed. They began to receive prayers and well wishes, as well as help, from an unlikely source. Organized crime began to offer rewards for information and the return of the baby, with Al Capone famously offering $10,000 for information leading to their capture. And all of this was done while he was in prison in Chicago. The whole country was invested in this. It was also during this time that a second ransom note appeared raising the asking price to 70000 but with Condon's arrival and his speaking to the kidnappers, an additional 1000 was added to the ransom. By this point, it was March 10th, and Condon had been given 70000 to negotiate with the kidnappers. On March 12th, he received a fifth note that said a sixth note would be found at another location, and the sixth note gave a meeting place. There, he met with a man calling himself John and discussed paying the ransom, but Condon asked for proof that they had the boy, which he was given in the form of the baby's pajamas, but not for a few days. During that time, they continued to negotiate, and by March 29th, they found Charles Jr.'s thumb guard at the entrance of the estate and what would be the ninth ransom note, raising the ransom again to 100000 And it went back and forth like this throughout all of April. Condon saying, let's meet, the kidnappers leaving notes, and ransom demands being made on both sides. Then... The unthinkable happened. The year was 1932, and on this day, May 12th, the dead body of 20-month-old Charles Lindbergh Jr. was found four and a half miles from the Lindbergh home. The baby had been there for a while. He was decomposing with a crushed head, a hole in the skull, and missing limbs. He was found by William Allen and Orville Wilson, truck drivers carrying tinder during a pee break in the woods. Upon seeing the half-buried body, they ran out of the woods saying, Don't know about anybody losing a child except Colonel Lindbergh. Let's get out of here. They then drove to tell police, then made their delivery of tinder, and then they took police to the body. That part kind of baffles me. 
In the many aftermaths of the ransom notes, money was exchanged and for years the police watched for the serial numbers on the gold certificates that were used. In 1934, a man spent a $10 certificate to buy 96 cents worth of gas and, thinking it was suspicious the gold certificates had been discontinued the year prior, the attendant wrote down the license plate and gave it to police. This eventually led them to Bruno Richard Hopman, a German immigrant and carpenter with a history of burglary. In his garage, they found over 13,000 of the certificates used as the ransom money stashed, and eventually Condon was brought in to identify if this was the man, John, he had spoken to in arranging the ransoms. Handwriting was taken to be compared with the ransom notes, and after analysis, it showed to be similar writing styles and a likely match. To further add to all of this, Hopman began trading in stocks and never worked again shortly after March 1st, 1932, the day Charles Lindbergh Jr. went missing. Wood from the latter found at the Lindbergh's estate matched wood found in Hopman's attic, and finally, Condon's name and number were written on a doorframe inside a closet at Hopman's home. It was all a little suspicious. With Condon's positive ID and the evidence in his home, Hopman was arrested for the murder of Charles Lindbergh Jr. His trial of the century began January 3, 1935 and lasted only five weeks. Bruno Hopman was found guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced to death. He appealed the verdict and was denied and then electrocuted April 3, 1936. His wife, Anna, never stopped fighting for her husband, believing his innocence and convincing many others that he could not have committed the crime, claiming he was with her that night. She filed wrongful death suits against New York, but all of these were ruled against. She died in 1994, maintaining that police covered up evidence and witnesses lied in order to convict her husband. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this episode and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.